if you want to do all three, it's all different information. So um, I decided to, I, I got trained in mindful self-compassion because I think it's totally essential and fantastic um, as a teacher. And, and then I just teach it periodically. Um, and I decided to teach it here in these three Thursday nights because I'm teaching this curriculum right now for two groups that I lead on Wednesdays. Um, and that's actually a six-week group. Um, so what I'm gonna try to do is give you the most pith information from, from two 80-minute classes each time I come here for the, these three Thursdays. Um, and I hope it supports your well-being. That's definitely my intention. Okay. So, self-compassion is a journey or even an adventure. It isn't something where we, you know, get it and then we've got it. <laughs> um, and it's particularly a journey, like all these practices are, but, but compassion and self-compassion are particularly a journey because by their nature, they deal with pain. Compassion is bringing presence and care to difficulty. So it's this non-abandoning, and it's this, and it's this uh, real care, you know, wanting to alleviate suffering. And we can recognize the word compassion and the idea of compassion is very recognizable when we feel our hearts being moved by the suffering of others. There's a lot of conditioning in our present-day culture to have less of that for ourselves. And the Buddha never meant for us to exclude ourselves in our journey toward freedom, or specifically our journey toward compassion. And so we have to kind of reteach ourselves. Galway Cannell has this poem, and part of it says, the bud, the bud stands for all things. And this is just a paraphrase because I don't have the words in front of me, but something like, the bud stands for all things, and it represents the possibility that we can reteach ourselves our loveliness and open to our, within our own warmth. And that's what self-compassion does. It resources us. It gives us um, a way to open up to life, to be here for it, for ourselves and for others, because we're, we're, we're brave enough to, be, it, it's, we're supported to open up to life with self-compassion. So it's a journey. We'll, we'll be, uh, you know, encountering these, uh, some ideas and practices. Tonight we'll do a few different practices. Um, and then because of the nature of compassion, dealing with pain and suffering, stress, difficulty, we'll also encounter tough spots. And 
what you'll notice, what you'll already know, you'll probably recognize as I describe this, and I want to normalize it and let you know that this is not only okay but important, is that we open and close. Our psyches naturally open up in moments and then kind of shut down and contract in moments. And the encouragement, not only here as we practice with self-compassion, but in life, is if you notice some closing, to allow that. Not push up against it. And even invite it if you notice something feeling a little bit like, you know, uncomfortable for any reason. It is fine to withdraw, to pull back. And that's something that is important to say at the beginning of having a discussion about an energy that meets pain. And it's also our first self-compassion lesson. <laughs> Like making that okay. Not always feeling like we have to push out against our comfort zone. So opening and closing, it's like, it's kind of like when you have an adjustable shower head and like you can put it on full, heart can be completely open. And then you notice, you know, or you decide to kind of, well, we're going to kind of shut things down a little bit for a little while. So let that be okay. That's an important part of uh, self-compassion and of working with self-compassion. So the first... Uh, practice that I want to invite us all to do is a short reflection on and so so I invite you to close your eyes if you like um, and just think about this consider various times when you've had a close friend who was struggling in some way had a misfortune failed or felt inadequate and you were feeling pretty good about yourself how do you typically respond to your friends in such situations you have a friend who's having a rough time how do you typically respond what do you say what tone do you use how is your posture and what are your nonverbal gestures Kind of see that in your mind's eye. Now, think about various times when you were struggling in some way, had a misfortune, failed, or felt inadequate. How do you typically respond to yourself in these situations? What do you say? What tone do you use? Your posture, your nonverbal gestures. Do you notice patterns of difference between how you are with others when they're struggling and how you are with yourself when you're struggling?
So 78% of people surveyed are more compassionate towards others than themselves. So if that's something you noticed, you're in good company. So this is epidemic. Holding others in more compassion than we hold ourselves. So a simple definition of self-compassion is treating ourselves with the same kindness that we would treat a friend when things are difficult. Can you imagine that? Treating ourselves with that same level of kindness as we would treat a friend when things are difficult. That's, our, that's the direction we're heading here. So self-compassion involves being caring and supportive to ourselves when we experience emotional difficulty. Being an inner ally when times are tough rather than being an inner enemy. So according to Kristen Neff, who is one of the co-founders of Mindful Self-Compassion, there are three components of self-compassion. Self-kindness, rather than self-judgment. That's number one. Number two is common humanity rather than isolation. And number three is mindfulness rather than over-identification. So self-kindness, um, we, so we treat ourselves with kindness and care rather than beating ourselves up. And also compassion is concerned with alleviating suffering. So there's some kind of action component to self-kindness. It might simply be offering ourselves some encouraging words, or it might be going to get a cup of tea, or it might be taking ourselves to the doctor. Could be any of innumerable different actions. Self-kindness involves some proactive action. Soothing and comforting ourselves when we're in pain. And supporting ourselves and protecting ourselves from harm. So that's self-kindness rather than self-judgment. Common humanity rather than isolation. So with self-compassion, we see our own experience of imperfection. We're imperfect. And we see it as part of the larger human experience rather than... Um, feeling like when we're struggling or failing, like something's gone wrong, this shouldn't be happening. When we, and this is a normal sort of function of the human mind, some, something goes wrong and we think, it's me, I should, you know, what have I done wrong? When really it's just part of the human experience. And when we can remind our minds that, that everyone struggles, it, Calms, it can calm down our nervous system. When we're thinking something's wrong, I'm feeling abnormal, it feels isolating, as if everyone but us is leading normal, happy lives. I sound familiar. So working with that sense of isolation, which is the opposite of common humanity, and we can work with it you know, by actually reaching out to people. 
it's also helpful to know that we can work with that sense of isolation simply by reminding our minds that difficulty is a part of life for everyone. That, that kind of languaging, that kind of reminding the mind calms everything down. The sense of isolation is frightening in itself. And we tend to go there when things are hard. So self-kindness, common humanity. And then the third is mindfulness. Rather than denial, which is a, a strategy many of us use, like, I'm okay, I'm fine. Mindfulness lets us know, no, we're in a difficult moment. <laughs> but it also doesn't take us to over-identification where we do the ruminating thing, the storytelling, the, oh my Lord, I've been doing this behavior since I was 12 and, you know, what I'll never change and, oh, well, how's it going to be when I'm 92 and, you know, the kind of stuff the mind does. Mindfulness reminds us, drop the story, come into the present moment, just this much. So mindfulness, on the one hand, recognizes that things are difficult, and on the other hand, curtails over-identification. So those are the three components of self-compassion, self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. It's also important to, to name that there's what what we'll call the yin and yang of self-compassion. We're more familiar with the sense of the yin, the attributes of being with ourselves in a compassionate way, comforting, soothing, validating, and that's essential. And compassion is also yang, has a yang quality of acting in the world, protecting, providing, and motivating ourselves are also all parts of self-compassion. So it covers a broad range of actions and self-care, like the kind of self-care that really supports well-being rather than the kind of self-care that might be escapist. And we need that sometimes too. It's, 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 it's the nurturing and it's also the protecting. So I want to lead you in another exercise to kind of demonstrate these three aspects of, um, of self-compassion. So if you just uh, join me with just squeezing the fist, this tight squeeze of the fist is a metaphor for self-criticism or resistance. And you may notice feelings like tension, annoyance or anger, fear, Okay, now simply open the palms upwards. Notice that sensation. This is a metaphor for mindfulness. 
accepting ourselves and our lives with equanimity, present in the moment and that letting be. And now extending your hands forward a bit. This is a metaphor for common humanity. Receiving, giving, connecting. And then bring the hands to the heart area. Notice the sensation. And this is a metaphor for self-kindness. I notice sense of safety or calm or peacefulness. Self-kindness. So that's where we're moving toward. So we're moving away from, so you can feel the tight fist and into the allowing of mindfulness, presence and allowing, the connection of common humanity and the care and safety of self-kindness. So, not only the Buddha, but many other great spiritual teachers and traditions throughout the eons have been teaching about the power of love. And people have been walking these paths and experiencing the freedom that comes for them for as long as we know. We have an added benefit of being alive at this time, which is that we have the support of science. So we have these, all these reports, all these faith traditions and the mystics and the, and then we have our own tradition here and what the Buddha taught and our own experience. And we now have research too. So I want to share with you just a little bit of the research on self-compassion. Um, and I think this is important and, uh, because, because of the amount of resistance and doubt that can come up when we turn compassion toward ourselves. So it's just a little tip of the iceberg of the research. Research indicates that self-compassion is powerfully linked to well-being. It's strongly associated with fewer negative states like depression, anxiety, stress, and shame, and negative body image. Fewer negative states like depression, anxiety, stress, shame, and negative body image. At the same time, self-compassion is strongly linked to more positive states like happiness, life satisfaction, and optimism. It's also linked to better physical health. Research with healthcare professionals indicates that self-compassion is linked to less burnout and greater satisfaction with one's caregiving role. 
If this particular line of thought interests you, then please go to selfcompassion.org. There's a whole huge collection of the research that's always being updated, and it just seems to be endless and huge and deep. And, and all along these lines of like every negative state that we humans go into is alleviated by self-compassion and every positive state that we're familiar with is expanded. And we'll talk about why that is in a few minutes, but I just think that in itself is so inspiring. Well, the, these teachings on the power of love and presence are are bearing out with the uh, brain science and the research, all the research. So I mentioned that right before moving into another uh, important territory, which is the misgivings that we tend to have in this culture about self-compassion, and that is culturally specific. Not all cultures have a kind of a, we're not all uh, conditioned to have a kind of a phobia or a shame around the, even the notion of self-compassion. But ours does. And others do too. It's not only ours. Um, but there are cultures that don't. <laughs> and it's not that they don't have other problems. Like, for example, the Tibetan culture is is very, very wonderful with self-compassion and they have other challenges. This is one of ours. Our concerns, our barriers around self-compassion. So I want to now invite, um, invite you to share what might be some concerns you may have about self-compassion or if you don't or you can't access them right now, you may be familiar with some of the narratives out there about why a person wouldn't choose to walk through the door of practice towards self-compassion. So um, if you're online, you can raise your hand or an electronic hand. And if you're here, just raise your hand. Yes. Great. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, what's your name? Paul. Paul just said he sometimes gets concerned about where self-compassion stops and self-centeredness starts. Yeah, and you're not alone with that concern. Uh, Yes, thank you. So I'll just respond to that with some research and and hopefully it'll be helpful. I know you're speaking for a lot of people, Paul. So um, by including oneself in the circle of compassion, our sense of separation from others is lessened. Research shows self-compassionate people tend to be more caring and supportive in romantic relationships, 
are more likely to compromise in relationship conflicts and are more compassionate toward others. It reminds me of this, of this quote from the Buddha. He said, one who truly loves themselves could never harm another. And that in some way, selfishness and narcissism are like a strategy for covering up some uh, um, deep uh, lack of self-love when we're actually bringing in actual love, which allows us to be imperfect, we then have that same capacity to offer to others. So, selfishness would be something along the lines of uh, prioritizing our own needs consistently over the needs of others. And what the research shows is that actually self-compassion resources us so that we're actually more available for others. Yeah. So thank you for that. That was really important. Any other, any other thoughts or concerns that might come up for people? Well, oh, please. Oh, great. Um, I, think I'm, I think I fear grief. Mm-hmm. And um, do you mind telling me your name? Saul. Saul. He said he, he was maybe fears grief. Yeah. Yeah. There's a genuine uh, protective mechanism. The, the concern, and this is a real, this is genuine, that if we turn toward our pain, we'll open the doors to it in a way. Yeah. And that's actually a thing. That is a thing. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. Um, however, there's a whole phenomenon, I'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks, but there's a whole phenomenon with self-compassion called backdraft. Backdraft is a um, metaphor from firefighting there's a fire inside a building. And you could look at the building, and you might not even know there was a fire in there, but there is. And when firefighters go and open the doors and windows in order to put out the fire, the oxygen touching the fire temporarily makes the fire larger and more dangerous. So that's a good metaphor for the concerns about the different kinds of grief it could be rage, deep sadness, fear, recollection of difficult uh, traumatic events. You know, there can, be, there can be a concern about turning toward that stuff. And because of the phenomena of backdraft. So it's not, when we look carefully at that, it's not self-compassion itself that we're, concerned about, it's about what it might open us up to. And so, interestingly, the, the way we understand that is a um, couple of things. One is that we can move, we can use self-compassion sort of strategically. You know how I was talking about how we naturally open and close. 
the system closes, we can move away from the direct recognizing the difficulty that's there in the body, physical or emotional or both, um, and we can do some sort of wider behavioral self-compassion. That's also self-compassion. When like the thing to do right now is go for a run or hike in nature or go out in the garden or take a hot shower or drink some tea. That can sometimes be the skillful thing in the moment. Well, self-compassion uses wise discernment. What is actually gonna take me out of overwhelm and into a more manageable space? Mindfulness also helps with backdraft or overwhelm. Just bringing mindful awareness to the hands or the soles of the feet or something outside the body. You know, like here in this monastery, one of the, one of the um, statues here, you know, just bringing, bringing awareness there and letting the emotional system settle. the um, opening up of the doors of our heart and touching into difficult thing, difficult emotions um, can be challenging and it's also understood to be healing. In Buddhism it's called purification. <laughs> we like open up and then difficult things move through. And in mindful self-compassion we think of it as instead of Kaboom, we think of it as kabloom because the, this, this, this pain is moving through and out and that's part of the healing. Any others that are coming up for people? Yes. Uh-huh. So tell me your name. Marcia. If people worry that if they're not, did you say on their case all the time? Prodding. Yeah. If they're not prodding themselves all the time, they won't get stuff done. For sure. For sure. And next week, that'll be most of our time. I mean, in two weeks, that'll be most of our time working with that particular belief that we need the inner critic for motivation. That's a really big one. Thank you. And for a moment, for the moment, just to say a little bit of, of the science to help with that, um, um, most people believe self-criticism is an effective motivator, but it actually undermines self-confidence and leads to feel a fear of failure. I could kind of see that. Like, like my critic, I actually have done a lot of work with my critic and, and one piece of that, and this is not mindful self-compassion, it's the whole other modality I did at one point. One piece of that was seeing her as this like, she was like this furious uh, older Italian woman with a stick and she would hit me with it all the time. Well, how does that feel? How does that make me feel about myself? How does it affect my sense of self-worth to have a part of me that's always hitting me? It feels terrible. 
Motivation with self-compassion comes from the desire for health and well-being. It provides the emotionally supportive environment needed for change. It can be useful to consider the motivational impact of a harshly critical versus kind and supportive coach. So with, with self-compassion, we're cultivating the kind and supportive inner ally who wants what's best for us in the same way that a good parent will make sure the kid eats vegetables, not giving the kid ice cream all day long. Real self-compassion wants, and our heart really, wants us to live into what matters to us. But it comes from love rather than hate. So research shows that self-compassionate people have high personal standards. They just don't beat themselves up when they fail. This means they're less afraid of failure and are more likely to try again and to persist in their efforts after failing. Thomas Edison tried like, I don't know how many times, more than a thousand times before he succeeded in inventing the light bulb. And somebody said to him, how did it feel to fail so many times? And he said something like, oh, kind sir, I didn't fail. I just never gave up. And, and that's really, you know, when we're motivated by, when we're motivated by self-compassion, we can persist. Because we know we care about something. And that's what matters. But when we're motivated by that lady with the stick, man, it's easy to give up. So discouraging. So I want to talk now a little bit about I don't, and I don't mean to leave this behind. There, there's a lot more to be said about the misgivings and challenges, but we'll just bookmark it. I want to talk now about the physiology of self-compassion and self-criticism. And I'm going to try to communicate this well. I have to tell you that it took me a few passes through this particular piece of information before I really, before it really landed for me what we're talking about here. And it's really, to me, it's really important. So I hope I communicate this well. So we have, you know, we have this fight, flight, freeze system as, a, as an animal on the planet. We all get one. It's the amygdala. And it serves, it serves us well. And it serves all animals well. It keeps us alive. It protects us from bodily harm. It keeps us hypervigilant. What we humans have done, though, <laughs> is <clears throat> we've developed this whole thinking mind. And part of that is creating a self-concept. Like we have these bodies and we have these, you know, ways we move through life and we have these thinking minds and the thinking minds have a self-concept. And the thinking minds also have the capacity to imagine and we can imagine perfection. And so we have a self-concept and when that self-concept gets threatened, 
either by something happening on the outside or something inside the mind itself where it imagines perfection and we're not somehow living up to that. We employ the fight, flight, and freeze system to deal with the self-concept being threatened. But instead of fight, flighting, or freezing on something outside of ourselves, we're fight, flighting, and freezing on ourselves. So what happens is, now I'm going to, if you're online, I'm going to share screen. And if you're here, I have a giant note thing to show you. Okay, let's see here. Okay, so that's for the people online, and then this is for the people that are here. I'll explain this. Okay, so this is our, you know, reptilian stress response, fight, flight, and freeze. When our self-concept gets threatened, we turn it inward on ourselves. So fight, when we're, when we're, uh, going at ourselves becomes self-criticism. Flight becomes isolation. Oh, I can't. I can't go to the party because I am such a dork. Flight becomes isolation, and freeze becomes rumination. So I'm not moving, but my mind is moving and it's telling stories and getting me more and more frozen. The good news is we don't only have this uh, stress response thing in our brain, although we do have this and we always will. It's hardwired in there and it helps us a lot too. It's not only causing problems. We also have the mammalian caregiving system as mammals, all mammals, because our young are born and need so much time before they can be independent, we have to bond. And we had to bond as herds of creatures. And, and we, still, we still desperately need bonding. Bonding also keeps us safe, just like stress response will keep us safe. Bonding keeps us safe. But it releases a whole different set of chemicals. So the stress response releases adrenaline and cortisol, which hurt. They keep us safe, but they don't feel good. And they cause, for us humans with our crazy minds, they cause anxiety and depression. We can also choose, and this is what we're doing with self-compassion, we can also choose to activate the mammalian caregiving system in order to stay safe. So... We antidote self-criticism with self-kindness. We antidote isolation by reminding ourselves of common humanity, and we have to do this deliberately until it becomes habituated. And we remind ourselves of mindfulness. And isn't it so interesting that the Pali word for mindfulness is sati, which literally translates as remember. Remember, you're here in the present moment. Look around. Are you physically safe? If you are, and most of the time you are, if you're physically safe, then your whole fight, flight, and freeze thing has gotten activated 
because your self-concept got threatened. And instead of sort of staying in that yucky world, you can instead go to self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. And so that is what we cultivate. We cultivate it in all different kinds of ways. We've been, the Buddha, this is a lot of what the Buddha was teaching too, about, you know, basically the two uh, arm, the two wings of freedom that the Buddha taught were awareness, mindfulness, and compassion. That's it. It is very interesting to know that for all of us mammals, the two universal triggers to move us into the mammalian caregiving system, to move us into self-compassion, are soothing touch and gentle vocalizations. I was fortunate to have a mom who would uh, sing lullabies and stroke our foreheads when my siblings and I were children. And I think that experience um, affected all my life choices. Because I, ha I, I had a direct experience of soothing touch and gentle vocalizations. And I know from lived experience that those things are central to well-being. But a lot of us don't. And, and I would forget all the time that it was my pain that brought me to Buddhism in 1991 and then brought me to all the other kinds of practices and healing modalities that I've explored. But that's really it. Gentle vocalizations and soothing touch. And so the practice that I want to lead us in, let's see, I'm going to stop share here for you guys. Sorry about that. In these last few minutes before we close tonight, I'll lead in two more practices, brief practices. And I'm going to send you home with these. And if these speak to you and you need, need to hear them more des described or, and you want them led, um, again, I recommend selfcompassion.org. Kristen Neff leads them. Um, so the first one is soothing touch. And I want to tell you that even if resistance is up, um, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> like even if the mind is saying, oh my God, this is so stupid. I had a student who, when I was first teaching her about soothing touch, she said to me, Eve, I do not know what you've been smoking in the teacher's tent, but I'm never going to do that. <laughs> and now it's three years later and this is her go-to practice. Because, you know, whether or not our minds are on board, we have a lot of conditioning to resist this, as we were discussing in, when we were talking about misgivings. We are mammals, and we can activate this care system within ourselves. So I'm just going to lead us briefly through um, a few different ways we can um, practice soothing touch, supportive touch, and uh, you can just, as, you, as we move through these, just employ your mindfulness and notice if any of these speak to you, any of these stand out.
So beginning with one hand holding the other. Bring your mindful awareness to those sensations in the hands and just see what you're noticing. And one hand over your heart. Again, just feeling that sensation. Two hands over your heart. And then cupping your hand over a fist over your heart. So a fist over your heart and then cupping the other hand over. This is a gesture from Aikido that stands for strength. One hand on your belly and one over your heart. This is the one that I find I use the most. Two hands on your belly. One hand on your cheek. James Barris did this practice for two years. It was his main practice for two years. Cradling your face in your hands. Gently stroking your arms. Crossing your arms and giving yourself a gentle squeeze. And cupping your hands in your lap. Just take a moment now to go back to any that maybe resonated a little more and just try it again. All right. So that's a practice you can work with. And one last practice before we close tonight. And this takes those three aspects of self-compassion, mindfulness, common humanity, and self-kindness. 
I'll lead it as a practice right now. It's called the self-compassion break. However, it's something you can actually use in life in a moment and within a few seconds. A difficulty arises and deliberately invoke mindfulness, common humanity, and self-kindness as a way to activate this uh, resourcing of care. So think of a situation in your life that's difficult, that's causing you stress. But please choose a problem in the mild to moderate range, not a big problem. Now, saying to yourself, this is a moment of difficulty. That's mindfulness. Perhaps other wording speaks to you better. Some options are, this hurts. Ouch. This is stressful. And now it's saying to yourself, difficulty is a part of life. It's common humanity. Other options include, I'm not alone. just like me. This is how it feels when people struggle in this way. And now putting your hands over your heart or adopting the supportive touch you discovered that felt right to you. And saying to yourself, may I be kind to myself. Or another way of saying this is, may I give myself what I need. Or, I've got your back. and see if there are any particular words of kindness and support that you need to hear right now as you're going through these difficult situations. So some options could be, may I accept myself as I am? May I begin to accept myself as I am? May I forgive myself. May I be strong. May I be patient. 
And if you're having difficulty finding the right words, imagine that a dear friend or loved one is having the same problem as you. What would you say to this person? What simple message would you like to deliver to your friend heart to heart? And now see if you can offer the same message to yourself. Okay, so that is mindful self-compassion. When I'm, I'm back, I'll, I'll bring in more that we, there's ways to apply this, as I mentioned, to motivation. There's ways to apply it specifically to difficult emotions, difficult relationships. So thank you everybody for your attention and I hope it's supportive. May the merit of our practice be for the benefit of all beings, ourselves included. May all beings everywhere be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. May all beings everywhere know peace and the causes of peace. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.